you know. and I'm going to um, start the meeting now. Well, would you please call the roll? Trustee Banerjee? Here. Uh, Trustee Chalin? Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. Thank you, Anna. And the first item on our agenda is the approval of minutes uh, from September 7th. Second. Okay, and I had one amendment to it. There was one portion of our dis, uh, discussion that we did that was included in the uh, minutes that I've added on, and I think we have just the amendment. It was that decision-making process about the you know, meaningful use thing of we had asked. So there's just four lines that if with these amendments, we, if we could accept. Second? Move that's corrected. All right. Yes. All in favor? Second. Aye. All right. So moving on, without any further ado, I'm going to invite Ben Mack and Liz Lastner. Thank you for um, sending us the draft audit. We met you last in June, and you gave us an overview of what this process is going to be. So um, please take it away. And I had the opportunity to have a conversation um, with them and get a lot of my questions answered. So thank you. And we will uh, move this along with as much detail as we can. All right. Well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, we are here to report on the results of the June 30th, 2017 audit for Alamea Health System. Um, probably worth noting that we also do an audit of the foundation and of health partners. Those are both substantially uh, complete. The foundation will get issued tomorrow at the same time as this. Health Partners is really just pending board approval uh, and it's been through with the uh, Health Partners Audit Committee. So that's where those other things are. Um, you have three things in your packet here. Uh, you have uh, uh, a communications letter, I think on the right hand side, mm -hmm. uh, the spiral round presentation, which is also up overhead, and draft financial statements. Um, so these draft financial statements are substantially what we intend to issue tomorrow. Uh, there was a, a little bit of proofreading that, that, didn't, that didn't make it into this version, uh, but uh, management and Moss uh, Adams do not consider that we, th these, were, these were made by our proofreading department. We do not think that they would substantively change what, what anybody thought about the statements other than to, you know, do, do, do a little bit of wordsmithing fixing. So uh, we have these ready. We're prepared to issue uh, upon your approval. Um, so we're going to go through the spiral bound presentation here. Uh, we're going to talk about the opinion, the report, do our required communications, and we'll do just a quick heads up of Gatsby's coming up for you down the road. Uh, stop me, of course, at any time uh, if you want to. And again, I'm the, I'm the signing engagement partner, Ben Mack. Uh, this is Liz Lonier. She's the manager that actually uh, makes all the work happen with, with, uh, with our team in the field. So. We're, we're able to answer any questions that you have. Um, so things that we've, uh, scope of services here. 
uh, on slide five. Uh, I I better drive my own truck here. Um, so, uh, outtest services. So, these are, we're just required to tell you all the things that we've done for you. Uh, we did the audit, uh, annual financial statement audit. Uh, we assisted in drafting the statements. That's technically a non-attest service. Uh, and then we also are assisting with certain payroll tax matters. Um, we are prepared to issue an unmodified opinion. So that is the highest level of assurance we can give you that your financial statements are free from material misstatement. I will also say at this time that we have not proposed any audit adjustments, uh, which means that the numbers that you're looking at during the period should be the same numbers that are in here, perhaps grouped slightly differently here and there, et cetera. But you know, these are the same numbers you're looking at. So that's really the number one takeaway here. Unmodified opinion, no audit adjustments. Uh, I think that really speaks to uh, you know, a, a great job probably you, you might take away that management did closing the books uh, uh, and applaud communication also. So, um, so with that, we're going to talk just a little bit about CFO. things. Uh, no, no. <coughs> Anne's response. Oh. Anne Metzger. Anyway, Good these. thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit here, uh, and we, we uh, uh, about things that we did to uh, audit these statements. And, and so we'll move on to the slide eight here. And oh, okay. Oh. Perfect. So to audit cash and cash equivalents, uh, we applied the same procedures there to the restricted cash balances. We reviewed management's reconciliations, um, tied the balances to bank statements and confirmations from the third parties to get comfortable with those balances. Uh, patient AR, I'll talk about um, in a couple slides here. Uh, due from third party, uh, pretty significant balances tested there related to those um, supplemental reimbursements. A uh, couple of the major programs uh, that we tested that comprise this, uh, this receivable comes from the cost guarantee. Uh, that's the bulk of it, about um, $140 million there. Uh, the Prime program, um, the rate range IGT programs, and um, to get comfortable with these balances, we tied all of the, um, we tied this, all of these receivables to the signed contracts from um, DHCS. Uh, we looked at cash receipts. Um, payments made, IGT payments made, um, worked pretty closely for the last, um, I would say, five, five, six months with Shu Lin, um, reimbursement director, to really um, get an understanding of how these estimates were made and we were able to get comfortable that everything there is fairly stated. Uh, other current assets, uh, kind of a hodgepodge of different balance sheet accounts there, inventory, different county, um, a couple other supplemental reimbursement programs there, um, tested similarly to the Dufin third party. Um, capital assets, we tested significant additions to capital assets during the year. Um, didn't know any exceptions. You know, deferred outflows. Uh, are pretty much 100% pension related. So that all flows in from the ACERA plan. 
how do you just as you know how do you test the documentation of some of these things like when you, you do take a physical inventory you you contacted the third parties um, as well for um, you know AR or anything like that well so there's a different strategy for everything and I give you an example in healthcare uh, you generally don't for, for a patient bill you generally we in our experience it's one of the few industries where you don't contact a patient because geez even even I go to the hospital I have no idea what to make of all my bill I get 14 different bills um, I've got stuff coming in from my insurance company I'm not sure if it's right and I'm I mean, I do this for a living, and it's hard for me to figure out, right? So the thought is, is that if you pick 20 of those out and you send them out to people, almost, you know, even if they said, yeah, that looks good, I mean, how much, how much better would that make you feel? So this is the <laughs> rare industry where we actually don't send out patient confirmations. Medicare won't confirm with you. Medicaid won't confirm with you. And generally speaking, commercial payers won't. So we don't do that. Uh, for AR, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, we really rely on subsequent cash and modeling. Um, with all these supplemental programs, you know, it really starts with reading the, the law of the program and understanding the law of the program and getting with Shulin and David on the same page as the law of the program and then saying, if you know how the law works, does it make sense how you're estimating revenue? Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes there's things you can get your hands around, like a contract, and say we're, we're tying their model back to it. Sometimes you're using cash and it's harder to get your hands on things, you know, especially when you're, you're making an estimate for things that might be taken back. Um, yep, you, you, you kind of, on a case-by-case -case basis, you do what you can. You, you, do, you do the best you can with, with everything that you can. Yeah, for some of these we did confirm with uh, CAPH, the you know the basis for the estimates, and they were able to confirm back to us that the estimates were reasonable and based on you know consistent with what they had communicated to the health system. So that gave us some additional comfort for those. Thank you, Liz. <coughs> so that's the check and balance. Mm -hmm. Yes. Some of the best audits uh, evidence you can get is an outside confirmation. Right. And generally speaking, whatever we can get it, we will. So like the CA, CAPH programs, we're somewhat getting an outside confirmation. And if we can, we will. Mm -hmm. uh, conversely, you know, you are, um, have a, you know, on the liability side, you know, you have a lot of audits going on at DISH. Well, you can't get your uh, Medicare auditor to tell you what they're thinking about doing four years down the road, right? So you wish you could confirm it, but you can't, right? So you, you confirm when you can is, is really considered to be really high level audit evidence. Okay. All right, moving on. Liabilities. To test these liabilities, we looked at a selection of disbursements made subsequent to year end to test the completeness of the AP balances. Um, we noted that everything that should have been included was included there. Um, and due to third party, again, as Ben mentioned, that's mainly comprised of those um, Medi that old Medi-Cal waiver uh, dish 
DISH program, uh, that's about $110 million there. Um, and the rest of that is mainly related to cost reports, um, Medicare and Medi-Cal cost report estimates along with FQHC reserves. Um, so we uh, relied on our uh, healthcare consulting specialist, Glenn Bunting, uh, He's a former executive at Toyon. He reviewed the balances and the estimates um, and was able to help us uh, get comfortable with those, with those reserves um, based on documentation provided by um, Shulin and the filed cost reports. And the net pension liability has gone up considerably since 2015. And what, what is that attributed to? So the in general, I've, I don't know off the top of my head what is the 15 to 16 jump there. Um, it's well, I think that's what got it to 290. I think 293 was the opening balance oh, okay. at yeah. Gasby 68. I think that's where you went from Yeah, that was the starting point of right. Gasby 68. What made it jump during the year? Might have been, I'd have to look back. That would have been something we would have looked at last year. Um, and I don't know that I, I don't know if that was a change in discount rate or change in, you know. Well, it's a, it's a combination. And realize this is like um, being constructed as a five year layered amortization. So you did the first year and then you're hitting income. And then in the second year, you're looking at it. And then third year, but you're seeing at that point you're seeing the same trends, which is that the um, expected return on plan assets it was lower than they expected in those years. Mm -hmm. So they're like having to book this additional liability, and that's that's going to continue until the market turns. Now the market did turn um, in the year we're in, so I think the next one we get probably should switch around, and we should start seeing a positive. So you might actually start seeing that that amount come down. Really? Yeah, maybe. Although, as I say that, I, I just recall from the last uh, pension meeting, they, they did another thing, which was to change the, it's called the discount rate, which has the effect of increasing the estimate of liabilities. So that may not be true, um, but so it, it, may actually keep, it may actually keep going against us. But the idea is that over a 30-year period, all of these things should even out, and it eventually should come back around to, you know, the long-term estimate. Sorry, it's a very, pension yeah, account is extremely it, complicated. It, it really is complicated, and, yeah. and I just didn't know if it was attributed yeah. to um, increase in employees that were, were needing to to book more pensions. I, I don't understand why it it's, pri it's assets, primarily um, return on plan assets and the change in the discount rate. I see. So. There's an interesting note on page 50 of your financial statements that really illustrates David's point. And that is, what are your required disclosures you have is, what's the impact of a theoretical 1% change in discount rate? And that discount rate is an estimation of your rate of return on the assets in that plan. So the plan is estimating a $387 million liability right now. Mm -hmm. And what that would say is, if your rate of return was 8.6% instead of 7.6%, that would be $214 million. Right. If it was 6.6, .6, 
it would be just south of $600 billion. I see. That gives you an idea of the enormous implications of relatively small changes in investment performance on this liability. And what the standard tries to do is just because you make more or less money in a specific year, the actuarial mechanics of this try to smooth it out so that you pay a relatively flat, you you not pay, you have a relatively flat expense every year, whether your investments do great or poorly under the theory that it's not about how you do over one year, it's how you do over a long, long haul. Mm. Um, and so there's some, um, that's why there's this idea of like there's a flat expense and then um, if there are changes to your investment performance, those go through your deferred inflows and outflows. Um, it's com it's complicated. <laughs> well, really? Yeah. Um, you have, you know, six pages of notes on the pension plan. Um, you know, we're, I'll just talk about that. And we, we tie those out to the ACERA report. We look at the assumptions for reasonableness. Even though you use their assumptions, <coughs> yeah, they're, they're your assumptions. I mean, you're, you're in theory at least part of the management that comes up with those assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, and we do some tests to make sure, at least on a basic level, it looks like the movements make sense. We also test the data that you give to ACERA. Mm -hmm. Because if you gave them bad data, they wouldn't take responsibility for it. They'd say you gave us bad data. And so you did check with ACERA? Yes. yes. So these numbers are generated by uh, an actuary on behalf of ACERA and then allocated out to you. So we talked about third party. Yeah. Moving on to your your other liabilities here on this slide. These are really comprised of your um, your liabilities for workers' comp, um, professional liability, um, employee health, um, employee health IVNR liabilities. Um, for what is IVNR? Sorry, IVNR is incurred but not reported. Okay. Um, Thank you. So that's you know another way to say that's the tail liability mm -hmm. for unknown claims that may exist at the end of the year but have not been accumulated yet mm -hmm. by management if there's a lag um, in the reporting there. Uh, so we uh, we reviewed the actuary reports that um, for workers' comp and professional liabilities, um, you know tied out the ending balances there to management's estimates, uh, noting those were reasonable. Um, we tested some of the claims um, in the uh, employee health liability calculation to make sure that everything there was um, complete. Uh, the recording facility with the county we, again, we sent a confirmation to the county to get comfortable with that balance there. Um, we reviewed the, the debt agreement with the county to make sure that the net negative balance was within the prescribed limits, which it was. And then your deferred inflows here, again, those are pension related. It came on um, with the GASB 68. Mm -hmm. 
that we did was we did a review of cash collections. So since we had noticed that management hadn't changed its method for estimating the AR from, from the prior year, we were able to look at 14 months of cash that was received related to um, AR with service dates of June 30, 2016 and prior. And we noted that um, the prior year estimate was collected 100% after 14 months, which gives us comfort that the current year model that hadn't changed was a good predictor of the AR balance. So, um, you know, that was one of our you know, main tests. The other thing we did, again, we looked at cash that was received um, after June 30, 2017, um, applied it to those uh, AR accounts that were recorded at year end and noted that the percentage collected was reasonable. Um, so, you know, when you say reasonable, what does that mean? You look and you say, okay, for the past three years, you were at 50% uh, after one month, just throwing a number out. In the next year, if you're at 50% after one month, okay, as long as you got to 100% collected and not 110 or 90 in the prior year, then you say you're on track. Um, so you can you can essentially use lag tables to pick any point in time in the future and say how expected how collected would we expect to be. And you can even bifurcate that out by payer class if you if you've got a vexing data problem that you don't know what to make of. We didn't really have that this year. You were really, you were, really, you were spot on. We did do a little bit more breaking out last yeah. year too, because because we did. Yeah. Uh, uh, this year it was it was uh, kind of right on the mark. Any other questions about that? No. You're just reiterating what David has told us, and so I'm really pleased that 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 he's made an point to try to get that into a place where where we're comfortable and I think he's he's done a good job. Not on me, but the staff <laughs> the staff 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 the year. Oops, let me back that up just one more. Your expenses are fairly consistent from year to year. Um, you know, you had a $3 million loss. I think if you want to know what to make of that, an interesting thing to look at is your cash flow statement. We spend a lot of time talking about the balance sheet and the income statement. There's a cash flow statement. I think it's really helpful saying where's the cash we actually generated from and how did we spend it. You know, so you can see cash coming in from operations. You can see spend to pay down debt. And, and buy facilities. I think that's a, I would just sort of highlight that as the, as, as kind of the little brother of the three uh, financial statements that really kind of, I think, helps uh, you better understand, like, okay, if there is a gain or a loss, um, what does that mean in terms of actual money coming in and out the door? Um, and you don't look at what attributed to the gain or loss. We try to say are the numbers there right, but we're not engaged to say um, 
well, could there have been a different answer if such and such had been done? We're trying to say is this information that is materially correct and you can rely upon it. So in, in your look, do you, you also can see whether or not there's any kind of malfeasance, um, any kind of duplicitous work that's going on, uh, loss of cash someplace that's unaccountable. Is that? So as part of, that's a great question. So as part of an audit, you're required to do certain procedures to look for fraud. Um, we do. We, we have we have brainstorming sessions as a team, and we say if we were going to commit fraud, how would we try to do it? And we do some specific tests to look for it. It's the only test that we do every year that we don't tell management what we're going to do before we do it. We do some just specific different stuff every year that we throw at them. We go around and we ask questions. Call you up, put you in your office, make Mike talk to us every year. And we used to ask people too. We ask people, uh, you know, low-level payroll, you know, a payroll clerk or something. Do you know about fraud? Um, so there are a number of things we do to look for fraud. Um, it's not the key point of what we're doing, but it's part of what we're doing. We're, we're, we are looking for financial statement fraud. We're not looking for, um, you know, doing this for a career. I can tell you, somebody's stealing from your cafeteria. Um, it's horrible, but just apples to apples, someone's stealing something from your cafeteria. We're not looking for that because it wouldn't change what someone thought about your financial statements. Uh, but we do do tests you know, around cash to say, is all the cash there that you say is there? And we look at reconciling items. Uh, you know, if there was a reconciling item that looked weird that made cash bigger, we asked about it. Because there aren't many of those nowadays. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of deposits and transits anymore. So um, that, that's the kind of work we do to look for fraud, asking. You know, another, another thing I would think about as a, perhaps as a board member in terms of fraud is, is, is it using estimates to put out a perception about our level of profitability that isn't real? Right. And that's probably the most, you know, as a financial statement auditor, that's a big deal, right? So. You know, let's let's say AR was fifty million dollars, and we came out and we said, "Well, gosh, David, you've already you've already collected seventy million after two months. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the right number is, but we know it's more than that because you've already made the money." On one hand, that doesn't feel like fraud, but on the other hand, you might say, "Well, geez, we made at least twenty-two million dollars in that example more income than than we said, and probably more than that, right?" So, looking at these key estimates is, in a sense, you're looking for financial statement fraud by big management biases. And if you were going to do that, it would be by these things that we've said that are key. You know, it would be giving bad information to an actuary or um, uh, changing these big estimates. If you were going to try to change the numbers, um, so that's something we really look at. And we, we also, you know, we do kind of, especially in supplemental, I and mean, we score everything and say, is there a bias one way or the other? Um, we don't really detect uh, a bias one way or the other. That doesn't mean that if there's a bias one way or the other, that's a bad thing. Um, uh, but we don't like a big bias one way or the other. Um, so that that's, you know, those are, we're looking for theft, but we're also looking for 
telling a story about the financial statements that's so far off that you start to say we're the real story is different than this. And that could be better or worse. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, that answer your question? Yes, it does. Uh -huh. Thank you. I, I, and I don't know if I should wait until you finish your input in the operations. I know that the scope of your work is not to opine on, you know, our um, any operational inefficiencies we have or internal controls, but in the process of doing that, you do assess too, right, like when you're doing, so any thoughts of that that hasn't gone into the report maybe, but just some gleanings that you come up with for us in terms of internal uh, control? We, as, so as part of an audit, you are required to gain an understanding of the system of controls mm -hmm. and to decide where you're going to place reliance on it. And the biggest things that we place reliance on are management's regular monthly review of the financial statements and a regular close where they dig into key balances. Those are things that we can efficiently get our hands on. Um, I'll give you an example. We could do we could do 200 hours of IT controls work here incredibly fast. But all the key things that end up on the financial statements kind of end up getting done from actual reports, spreadsheets, and whatnot. And you say, I don't know how much connection there would be. Like, I don't know how that's how I'd want to shoot 200 hours worth of time. So we're not doing a super deep dive into controls that pretty much would relate to AP and salary, which there's other ways you can test them without Without, without that, right? And so, um, so there's things that you know we, we pick where we decide to look at controls, and it's it's those monitoring controls for us are the most important. I mean, we think those are what really catches you know seven figure errors, <coughs> so monthly reviews, and those we've found them to be large, you know, in in place and things that we can rely upon. Um, you know, the controls around supplemental revenues improved this year. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything relative to position control? Position revenue control. Yeah, we look, I mean, at, at AHP, we do, um, we do, we do testing of the position, we, we, we test back expense to that agreement. Uh, and, and see does it look like it's consistent with the agreement and was it actually paid? Probably there the better question would be, you know, there'd be two questions though. One, is what's on the books what we actually paid them? And two, could we have paid them less? We're really, for the most part, trying to answer that first question. Um, is what we actually paid them on the books? We don't think that there's a significant risk that you're going to be able to get away with underpaying your physicians by a material amount without them going, mm -hmm. without them making note of it to you. Uh, you know, if it were, if you were underpaying them by millions of dollars, you'd know about it by four months after year end. And if you'd overpaid them by millions of dollars and you didn't know about it by now, well, I suppose I, I was, good, good luck getting it back, I was right? asking so. a question to make certain that in position control that people who were terminated were out of the system and we weren't continuing to pay 
because we have people who are here and I mean on the books but not working and receiving checks. So that was my question relative to position control. That would probably not be a key thing that we'd look for. I think you I think you'd say on that one you know, you, you could have an error there. It'd be pretty hard to have a material error there. Um, you know, you'd like to think that your departmental reviews, you know, that'd be a good, that'd be a good example where we'd say, you know, your, your monthly P&L review should pick that up. Um, and if they didn't pick it up and you really are paying someone, well, it should be getting expensed, and it is. Um, but, but that would be, I, I think looking for that would be probably something we would not do. Like if we dropped a physician, we accidentally kept paying them. Um, I mean, my, my first pass would be that would probably not be a big audit risk. It's big. I mean. Millions of dollars. <clears throat> You're a billion dollar year organization. So big in terms of financial statement materiality is clearly millions of dollars. Okay, so looking at very high risk, high... Things that could be, make the financial statements wrong by millions of dollars. Um, you know, I, I mean, if you think about that, you'd have to have a physician that, you know, if they're, if they're terminated, I mean, how are they still, how are, a better example. Are they still submitting an invoice? So we had a, a contract with a large medical <coughs> large what? Medical group for a range of services and the contract was made. And then some of the services stopped getting paid or performed and then uh, we kept getting invoice for mm. How do we catch that? And it's something you probably can catch. It's something we think. Yeah, I, I, I asked that out of personal experience of of being in an organization that paid dead people. So, you know, it's because of the lack of position control. So I wanted to make certain to find out whether, but what you're telling me is that a million here, a million there is not on your radar. Well, that'd be a lot. I don't think you quite said If it was material, we would, you know, we would notice that for example, the salary expense had increased beyond our expectation, and we would, you know, make further inquiries of management as to, hey, why is this, why has this gone up so much when we are expecting it based on headcount that's reported, um, this lower. So that would be one way we might be able to figure that out. But you don't, you haven't. I mean, you didn't. You didn't know anything. That's fine. We do those sorts of tests. I mean, I, I think another thing I would say is, if they send in an invoice, one thing we look at is we test your process to review invoices. Right. So, does an invoice get put next to the thing that you would look at to understand whether or not you should pay that? And does it get signed off on by someone who would understand it and can review it? So that would be like part of our disbursements testing. But, but that doesn't account for the maintenance engineer or the the payroll clerk or any of those that we employ totally on a position. So you were talking about invoice relative to 
medical providers. I thought you were asking me about a physician. No, a, a physician control. Not oh, physician. Oh, physician. Can, Position control. Okay. Did you hear me? Right? I heard you, but I was like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, I sorry. I thought you were saying physician. No, position. So, so with position, with position, there are some payroll controls. So we look at controls around um, how do you add people onto the payroll, or like I think we actually do look at some controls around how do you drop people off the payroll, um, and what gets reviewed. Um, uh, we look at kind of like how management reconciles some of those payroll reports they get to a headcount report. Um, you know, I think if, if they were, we do some controls testing that, that could pick up on that, at least if it wasn't reviewed or aired, if it, if it showed up. Um, it could, it could, that could show up in a sample or it could not. Okay, thank you. I, I apologize for mishearing you on that. Mm, that's okay. Oh, I heard position, and I thought, wow, Ben's really getting granular. He's picking absolute no, position. <laughs> so we've, I think we've talked here a little bit about what an audit is. So I'm going to move on, just talk about plan, timing, and scope. I would say that you know we did field work when we said we were planning on doing it. We're presenting to you when we said we plan on doing it. Uh, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, AHP uh, and AHF, which are both included as part of your statements in different ways, uh, are, are, are sitting on the table ready to be issued. Uh, your significant accounting policies, uh, we think, are reasonable. Uh, they're stated. And note two to your financial statements. Uh, we think they're described reasonably. Uh, uh, it's probably also worth noting, I'm going to say like note 14 has a lot about supplemental revenues that I think is actually pretty helpful for understanding some important things to the organization. Uh, we think that management's judgments and estimates are reasonable. We've talked about those key estimates. Uh, we think the way that they come about them is reasonable. Uh, we think the results are reasonable. Uh, we've already kind of gone over what the key ones are. Uh, we've noted no unadjusted differences. Uh, uh, we proposed uh, no audit adjustments. Um, we found no material weaknesses, and we have nothing to communicate uh, in terms of significant deficiencies. Um, uh, we're required to uh, communicate to you difficulties encountered during our audit. Uh, we had no agreements with disagreements with management. Um, uh, we're required if audit if management wants to consult with other accountants on a matter that's completely within their rights and it and it's okay. We're just required to tell you if they do. We're not aware that they that they did. Um, uh, and so with that, I will kind of pause. That those are our required communications. Uh, uh, any questions about the process um, or the results? Uh, my, my only question probably to you, David, is it's how does this final report get get distributed? In, in what manner does it get distributed? Um, the uh, primary uh, people are interested are the county because they have to file it. It's part of their 
<coughs> own reports. I believe they already have a draft copy because they needed to uh, report earlier than this, but we'll follow up with this. Um, <coughs> often this is also posted on the, uh, the website. But other than that, we don't, we don't have the need to mass mail it out to anybody. Okay, um, it, it might serve for us to have some of these copies available, given that there may be questions by employees on whether or not we're due diligence in our processes for accountability, etc. So, <laughs> if we would like to have, you know, yes. Well, it would be nice if you can just have um, in the office, you know, a dozen or so that that we can sure. use. We always have an electronic copy as well. Yeah, I, I just I would like to be able to put it in the hands of some people. Sure. Yeah. Thank Fine. you. Some some organizations I I, I need to uh, post them on their website. Mm -hmm. So that's something. <coughs> well, I, I think given that. I mean, most organizations always have some finding that they have to go back and correct, and so mm -hmm. this seems to me to be a pretty clean audit. Yeah, yeah this was um, um, And I think we ought to celebrate that, so putting it on the web page or mm -hmm. making copies available. Um, so I, I okay. have an ulterior motive, actually, so I'd, I'd like to be able to have this. Yeah. And I had a chance to ask Ben and Liz too about how the process was, so thank you again for giving the documentation and all of that that they needed on time. I know your team worked hard with that and for, for um, your team uh, from Los Adams to be keeping uh, this on track. You did have mentioned um, um, <coughs> that one of the, you know, I was asking you about some of the other just findings in terms of how clean this has worked and some other gleanings that you had and um, in terms of um, our billing and other processes. And I remember, was that, uh, help me um, if with, with our commercial um, fears more bad, was there something that, that you feel that we might be... I, I think what we I think what we talked about is is you know you have no commercial contracts and few commercial payers yeah and because of that commercial payers are are not a big focus well you waste that as to where you get what nine hundred and sixty million of the of the billion yeah. from from pay from uh, government government payers and right. 300 ads supplemental revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we were talking about this compared to other hospitals. You know, at, at a lot of other hospitals where that mix is different, um, there is a lot more focus on the commercial mm -hmm. billings. I mean, in a lot of places, that is the number one mm -hmm. driver of profit. Here, it's it's not. How much is it? And a very small sliver. Of our revenue from commercial, yeah. maybe $30 million out of a billion. Really? It might be more than that, but it's about that. It's, it's close to about 2%. Yeah, I was thinking 9% is what I saw. It's not the highest in the That's gross. Oh, of course. Gross is, is that. Mm -hmm. um, of the total budget, revenue. you mean, or of the... No, of the total budget. Uh, yeah. Of the total revenue. I think right. it's, it, it might be higher, but... Not much more than, you know, six, seven, eight percent. And, and remember that too, when we talk about percent of revenue, 
then the supplemental revenues are on the side. Yeah, right. right. So if that's 9%, it's 9% yeah. of yeah. 600, not 9% of the building. Right. Because there's, you know, 60 a cap and yeah. right. 300 a sub, right? Yeah. So it's not huge. It, it's, 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 it's not huge. So, I mean, it, you asked, you know, we were talking about, you know, what's the focus? It isn't as big a focus here, but that's... A way that... that that's not... That we're not Necessarily surprising either. Capturing that a, charge as aggressively as we could, I think, is is that or, or not? not yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, we're, we're you know going after everything we can. So it's, it's, it's right. We, right. We've increased it quite a bit since the last three years. But, yeah. yeah, but that's that's an opportunity area. It's not like for lack of trying, but that's a place yeah. where we could be. Um, Looking at, given that it's a low risk area, small, very small volume, and we uh, have to prioritize our resources, but that's one area that yeah. where. Yeah, I mean, that's been an ongoing issue with Alameda Hospital. So the, the, the loss of the view of people gone elsewhere. We're near the end. I know that's been painful, but you know, the contracts we completed, like Blue Shield. Yeah, we had. 100% increase in the contract yeah. rates, so it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. It's worth it. Okay. Any other questions? Thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're going to give you just, sorry, I should have said we're not done. Because it's the gas updates. I'll just say really, I'll go through these really quickly. Uh, pension issues is some pension mechanics. We'll talk about that next year, and your actuaries will work it out. Uh, blending requirements, you adopted it this year, didn't have any impact on what you did. Probably the biggie is, is that your post-employment health care next year will start being accounted for in the same way as your defined benefit pension plan. Yeah. Yeah. You, will t you will highly likely take on some additional liability on your books mm -hmm. uh, when that happens. Um, the good news is that'll probably be the last of those because there isn't much else that could could come on like that. Um, Give them time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the uh, and then the lease standard. So not a big deal for you guys because you don't do a lot of businesses and leases. Uh, in fact, I don't, I don't know if you do much of any real business and leases. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, all leases will become something where there's an asset which is the right to use the thing and a liability which is the payment. Um, currently, there's a lot of leases that you can kind of not record. We don't lease equipment; we purchase. We're getting rid of the leases <coughs> as we go through, so everything new is being bought. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. Thank you, Thank you very much, Ben. Good to see you again. All right. Moving on. Our next item is. Um, do you want to do the HIPAA? Um, uh, well, if I could just. Uh, oh, yeah, we need to approve uh, this to the full board, right? Is that what we need to accept? Well, in, in, in accordance well, with the. Uh, the proposed changes on the charter, it will be up to this committee to approve uh, the report from the auditors regarding the draft financial statements and uh, authorize management to take whatever steps are necessary to 
So will this be um, brought to the full board in the November 9th meeting or November 30th? Presented. Will it go into the materials in the... Oh, because the November 9th meeting has to go tomorrow, right? Yeah, so it won't go... In the 30th. Uh, and I would say not the 30th. There's no urgency here. Yeah. So I would say not the 30th because we have the big um, yeah. health record issue. Yeah. And putting this on with the health record, I think, would be a complication. So we just do it. So I would suggest we, okay. we hold on, on it. That makes sense. All right. So noted that we move. So moving on to the next part of our agenda is the HIPAA. Well, okay. True. So uh, I just wanted to, to walk us through this. I brought uh, some overheads just because uh, I think some of the pictures speak volumes about uh, the kind of issues we found. Uh, for background, uh, we were just trying to make sure we were in compliance with the HIPAA requirements. Uh, we were looking for opportunities for improvement and we were really looking at printing, faxing, emails, mail, I mean, anything that involved uh, PHI. Okay, uh, so we actually developed a tool that would uh, have a number of factors relating to each of these categories, uh, and we did some subjective scoring based on our observations, <coughs> calculated a numeric average, and uh, scored each of the three facilities. We did uh, all three freestanding, uh, Newark, Hayward, and Eastmont. And uh, they basically all came out to uh, meets expectations, but we wanted it a little bit higher than that. And so we made a number of recommendations. And this is difficult to read, but uh, we, we made our recommendations, we worked with the areas, we've completed a number of the items, but some of them are going to take a little longer, especially if it requires build-out. But uh, instead of going through the detailed recommendations, I'd like to kind of go through the pictures. Uh, top left would be the uh, HIM area, door wide open, it's got a lock on it, but when we got there, it was like, okay, lock your doors, keep people out. Uh, this was a copy machine in the top right that was right inside that same door. Uh, and there's a number of uh, pages on top of that that somebody printed and didn't pick up. Uh, we had the IT closet down in the bottom left that uh, was supposed to be locked at all times so nobody can go and mess with the equipment except for the IT guy who has the key. And when we walked up to the room, they said, it's always locked. Oops. Uh, Open the door. Uh, the bottom right is uh, a counter where uh, patients are coming in and talking to the registration people. 
we felt that they were a little bit closed. There was no barriers to prevent uh, people from, you know, seeing or hearing uh, what's going on. You can see computer screens in the background. Yeah. So if I can interrupt you, some of these were more the dividers and things, and but there was one which was which needed like twelve thousand or thirteen thousand dollars to change it from a U to another. Some of these so were what are the short-term interim things while you know you're doing a that's not budgeted, that's not part of your, that's not in the budget. So while all of that happens, how do you in the short term? So some of these are are fixable uh, white noise to deaden sound so you can't overhear what's going on. Uh, putting uh, the computer screens on so that, you know, the glare screens so you can't see mm -hmm. uh, clearly. Uh, some of them, it's just uh, a process flow thing where you've got to get people farther apart. You can't have them shoulder to shoulder working with uh, registration clerks. <coughs> and so we've been trying to address those areas. And uh, the, the real solution would be, you know, put some dividers in uh, and have those other things in place. But uh, we're kind of taking baby steps in some of these areas to move it along because uh, some of the facilities just are not designed to accommodate this kind of traffic. Well, changing behavior seems to me to be more important than right. putting up some of those things. There isn't any reason that a door can't be closed. I mean, that that's just kind of sloppy work. So uh, the number so of below expectations in that first clinic was great, yeah. like just... In, in some cases... In some cases, it's a workflow thing. You've got people trying to hustle and they're going in and out of doors and uh, if it didn't have uh, a swipe lock where you just key it through uh, then you've got to mess with getting keys out of the pocket going in there and it just the easier solution was prop the door open or don't lock it oh and, I, I understand and how so that happens. now that sure. we address these things they're like okay well we'll we'll clean it up um, so you're, you're right. It's so how many people went out to find these things? So we had uh, two people do the walkthroughs. And we did the three uh, freestanding facilities. We've got more planned to uh, do the Highland Clinics because we probably would see some of those same things in some of those areas. And we, you know, you try to do education, but uh, you, you don't hit all people. And when you're trying to you know, do work, sometimes you just don't do the right thing. So, bottom right, you've got uh, the fax numbers that are typed out. And, which means every time somebody goes to fax, you got to type it in, and you misroute a fax, and we have a, a HIPAA violation being reported. But uh, I'm just wondering, some of these things are IT, HR, like everyone gets a computer, they have an account, but the confidentiality statement doesn't go into it, or things are not programmed into there already. So 
these are new systemic process things that if like the system was in place, then people it would make it easier for people to do it than have to dial. So how do you then, you know, like well, there's training. So what I hear from all of this is that there's some kind of you know recurring training that's needed for staff about confidentiality and HIPAA training just so that hey, I mean this is important. Like it's I know it's harder to do that. But also getting systems in place so that if they're sending email out, there's that disclaimer, that 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 you know accompanying statement. So that that would be a training thing. Uh, IT doesn't set up your confidentiality statement on your email. You usually do that yourself on a signature line. You're going to go in there and and some people program their signatures so that. Their name and, and phone number always shows up. Other people uh, prefer to just sign it. It's, it's an efficiency thing. But what we're pushing for is for everyone to start putting uh, the confidentiality language. You know, oops, if you get this and you weren't supposed to, delete it. Uh, that kind of stuff. Name doesn't wouldn't be addressing some of these things. A process. Uh, if, if, if this were one of the uh, uh, initiatives that they were, or work posts that they were looking at, they, they certainly, I mean, that, that could be, but I don't, I don't know that this is. I'm not, I'm not sure this type of thing that would be amenable to that sort of uh, intervention. This is, it's really, I, I think the tool that we're using, which is to audit these and then. Uh, discover them and then figure out how you improve what you're already doing is, is, is the right tool to, to trust advantages, but we do have uh, HIPAA training that's actually required, so we, we do it in orientation. There's a frequency which I don't know if it's quoted on, uh, so I don't know what it is, uh, but there is, a, there is a recurrent frequency for uh, employees to have that, that type of training uh, to, to be aware of um, what the various types of risk are and then you know, what the uh, Penalties are for, for those sorts of things, and how we prevent those sorts of So I think this is this is just in furtherance of, of that, and it is looking at it from a kind of a broader system approach. You say, are there things like locking the doors an issue, and maybe because there's only one key, because there's a risk if you give out too many keys. Right. Right. Uh, right. So, so if that one person doesn't want to keep giving away, you don't have to. Well, you know, if you talk about a link sort of thing, like if the key were kept here. Because you don't want to keep the key right next to the door, because that's what it means to have the key. Then, from a workflow perspective, that actually makes sense. So, some of the solutions, uh, if it is that this is a room that's accessed by multiple people but has a security risk, you need to figure out do I move this to another secure location so that it doesn't have to be here, or do I need to put some mm -hmm. other type of thing that's a you know, systemics response or uh, Why isn't the manager of the of the office responsible for things like that? Yeah. I mean, the officer of the bank, if I saw someone not using their disclaimer, although we mandate it through the system, it's automatically generated. We would, I would say something, or the door is open. So I think no. The, I, the, the point is they are. Uh, this is so an audit is point in time, right? So, yeah. So this, yeah. So he comes in or they come in and. Two o'clock one afternoon. It may have been the thirty second before that was closed, but they're required to, or that door was locked, but they're required to capture where they were because it's still saying that it's not routine enough. So, so this feedback does go back to the person or the people yeah, responsible for that area to say, 
here are some vulnerabilities that we determine in important time snapshot, which means that your systems that you have in the place aren't reliable, and you need to you know, reinforce them. So, so I think it is a case of reality. Okay. So things like the disclaimer language on an email uh, has not been in our training program in the past. And when I got the first draft of this report, I looked at my email and went, Hmm. <laughs> 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 Give me that disclaimer language quick. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we're, we're working with the managers of each of the clinics and we're recommending that they work with their staff and that everybody puts it on there. Uh, it goes into our program going forward to make sure that we do uh, annual competency training. It, it should be uh, included in that. and. We, we look for other opportunities like uh, getting fax numbers programmed in so that you're looking for a name versus punching the numbers. Uh, it still doesn't mean you can't fat finger it, but it lessens the risk. Uh, one of the things that we've done in our building, we have uh, the, the copiers program so that you have to swipe your badge before it prints, and that way you don't print something and forget about it and it sits on the, the copier and, and somebody can walk by and pick it up. So that's been like one of the interventions we've been rolling out across the system. One, it actually deals with uh, reducing the number of printers that we have in organizations where it sort of uh, decreases our printing costs and our cost of maintenance of printers. But when you go to those multifunction printers, this kind of thing can happen for print jobs and you don't want to get up and go and get it at that point so it sits there and you have vulnerability. So, so it is mentioning uh, one of the interventions that's possible as you uh, code those so, so that uh, you send a job, that job doesn't break until you physically get to the front of the Does it hold back everyone else's job in the queue until that person clears no. it? That's concluding on the front as, as soon as somebody goes yeah, and starts the line, too, you know, any printer on the floor, you can walk up and swipe your badge, it'll start your print. And you know, as soon as you're done, you drop off. The next person can come up and swipe their badge. So Hayward, we had uh, some findings. Uh, we had a couple of issues where they actually had the little walkways and uh, the, the traffic cones to keep people in line, but they didn't really allow adequate space, and so people would go up to the head of the line and still be next to somebody that's being served. Uh, so we, we were looking at moving, giving a little bit more space there. Uh, again, some uh, the little walkways, the counter issues. Uh, so this bottom right one, file room, doors open and then there's a big hole in the wall where it looked like it used to be a picture window. So even if you lock the door, somebody can step through the door. <laughs> so it's like, okay, maybe we should relocate that to another area. This obviously, obviously isn't a secure fire room. So uh, making some changes there. And then the bottom left, you've got the uh, secure trash bin that's on the outside of the counter where wow. customers are instead of on the inside. So mm. you know, let's, let's move that to be... Well, they had to put the literature somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it is locked. Yeah, it is locked. <laughs> 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 
but <laughs> doesn't mean it can't be there. It means it's a table. And so, some more yep, <laughs> stuff laying around and mm. you know, counter space. So we, we summarized all the recommendations by the different centers. And uh, as you can see, there were some con uh, problems that were common to all of them. Uh, we, we really thought that the screen savers would be helpful, the, the filtered noise, the white noise would be helpful. Uh, we, we didn't like the, the check-in areas, but uh, we're going to have to work around that till we can get the construction items done. Uh, but we think that uh, once we implement all these, that you know, we'll, we'll be doing pretty good. Many of these were easy fixes that, you know, yeah. just with training yeah. you can do. So that was yeah. good to hear. Okay. Okay, any questions about, about that one? No, thank you. Okay, so our next topic will be the revisions to the committee charter. And what I did was I went through the uh, report that we got from our consultants and I identified the different uh, recommendations that pertain to the charter. Yeah, it's page 135 and they're, you know, adding a few things including like the uh, approval of the financial statement that we did today which we haven't done before, this committee hasn't done before, so so page 133 actually shows the recommendations that the CRG yes, have made, and I highlighted what the real recommendation was. The, there's a lot of extra words there, but uh, <clears throat> the first one would be the governance structure, uh, having the uh, compliance officer with unmediated access to the CEO and the board of trustees, and the board audit com and compliance committee and uh, put, put the uh, specific responsibilities and authorities for the CCO and <coughs> charter, uh, board having a role in the hiring, evaluation, and termination of the compliance officer, and to supplement the uh, compliance officer job description with a charter of authorities and responsibilities approved by the board. So what I did was I took the uh, Audit and Compliance Committee charter that was approved uh, earlier this year and just did some red lines on it to show the changes that I made to uh, accommodate these recommendations. Now, <clears throat> the last one on there about the job description of the Chief Compliance Officer with a charter, that would not be included here because no. that would be a separate thing and I'm, I'm still debating whether that's needed or not because uh, what that would do is define my responsibilities but nobody would see it unless I go and wave it in their face so that might not uh, be that helpful. But yeah, I mean Human resources or committee or something doesn't have the job description of the CHRO or anything as part of the charter. So I, I think that that is probably the most optional part of mm -hmm. uh, of that. 
but uh, the, we are not, um, you know, finalizing this today, right? Because we can wordsmith it a little bit and bring it to the next meeting as well. We could do that. The job description of your, of you, for no, you? My job description, I actually do have a job description. Uh, it's not in the form of a charter. Right. But I do have a job description on file with HR. So what was going to, I missed it. So it, it says, like, under one of the things that it says is that part of the charter, the supplement should be the CCO job description, which should be along with the charter. Mm -hmm. So the chief compliance chief officer. officer. So actually what I did in the charter was if you look in section 3.1, I added some comments about approving the annual financial statements as presented by the external auditors. And I indicated that the committee delegates the day-to-day -day management of internal audit and the compliance program to the VP of internal audit, corporate compliance officer, which would be me. And then down at the bottom of that paragraph, uh, the VP of internal audit for the compliance officer shall have free and unrestricted access to members of the board of trustees, audit and compliance committee, the CEO, and management as necessary to effectively discharge their duties. Yeah. Okay, so those statements right there pretty much address this. And then if you look at Section 3.8, it talks about the responsibilities of the committee, which is doing, uh, having, making sure that there's a risk assessment and that uh, I do my job and that we identify issues and report periodically, which the day-to-day -day responsibilities of that are delegated to me. Yeah, I think in the in 3.1 where it says, you know, approve the VP um, manages the day-to-day, -day, that th there was some way, um, I'm trying to think where, Which one because I, um, I, um, I put comments on, on, on my iPad and I brought this one here, so I have, don't have a hard copy where I did that. But one of where, where I thought that we could add a little bit more element of, um, if, you know, instead of having the job description over there, just add a little bit more nuance to it where it says the, um, you know, existing and find identification and assessment of existing and um, emerging risks or something where your day-to-day -day job is uh, is defined a little bit more clearly in that. So there were just one or two things that from the Governance Institute, their charter, like I had just pulled in some language from there that mm -hmm. if, because we are not, this is not an item for action today, right? It's not. No. So this no, is no. going to be finalized in the next iteration so if we can if anyone has any language that they feel like from your experience you know deep experience with audit or something that we might since this is a relatively new committee and if we are doing the charter we can add any language do so I had the two things that are not um, on this that I will send you by email but the the Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. 3.88 seems to me, I think there needs to be a little, a little heftier language in there, you know, 
at least any of the beginning, I mean. Yeah, it's not at least, it's like annually. Right. So it's annually, and we ought to specify before, you know, a certain time of the year, before something so that there's, there is a deadline in which the committee is responsible to maintain this or to finish it so that it's, it just doesn't sit there and, and we forget about doing it. So the we will not. Is there like a cycle like all in our organization? All the performance appraisals happen at a certain time. So uh, I, that just, I don't know. Yes, will be aligned with the rest of what, the timing ways. What I will do is put that on the calendar for the tasks of the audit compliance committee as a, a separate line item and that it will be scheduled at uh, future meetings to address that issue. Okay. And one thing that you know So are they evaluating you or just reviewing your performance? We um, so we the uh, the board for the CRG recommendations is that the board conducts the uh, performance appraisal but our recommendation was that it would it would involve not just the board uh, you know the audit committee doing it but doing including the 360 with the team and other stakeholders internal stakeholders as well so probably in the coming year 2018 we devise some kind of an, a performance evaluation process for UVIC that involves us as well as the you know team um, and his d direct supervisor. Well, I I only suggest that you put more of you know put more meat to that statement in there and yeah. kind of define what you want. Only because uh, with with a new year coming, it doesn't necessarily mean that the same chair people are chairing the same committees, and so this thing could shift and no one would know know what that is. So I think you need to have a little more specificity. Right, so internally the process is that you do a self-evaluation, right. you submit it to your Supervisor. manager, and they add comments, send it back to you, you go back and forth a few times until you feel like you've reached a, an agreement on it and then finalize it. So. We would have to work out something to. So this ties into the reporting structure thing, that yeah. conversation that we've also been having. So one of the things that that our committee made a recommendation, and it also came from. It's very clearly, and I know that you spoke with the CRG person as well. But one of the things that he had said was that having the chief compliance officer directly report to the general counsel, there's a whiff of kind of... Yeah, that shouldn't happen. It's not, it's not. And so what we feel is that even though at, at this point in time with this person and this person and you all, there's integrity and this system is working, but it's as a structural thing, that is not a good structure. 
And uh, the other thing is that given the fact that we, we went through this assessment and we are in the process of developing a really robust, good compliance plan, system-wide compliance plan, we know that it takes three to five years to build it up, but we are building this up and that one of your goals is quality and compliance is, is part of the CEO goal. It just seems uh, logical for us, the rationale is that for uh, for you and so when we see things like should have unmediated access to the CEO I feel like when people say meetings are always open you can come in at any time do people really do that like is that codified formalized in some way so that is kind of where we were coming from but but to be clear this that is the standard when you look at what the, oh, yeah, so first of all, if you go back to the sentencing guidelines where this whole issue of the authority of the CCO comes from, right. back to the tenant case back in 2006, and the issue there is whether or not the person who's charged with the, you know, the compliance ethical responsibilities can communicate to the decision makers mm -hmm. without having it filtered through somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's not so much necessarily a question of where they show up on an organizational chart. It's not a question of, you know, you know, of some of those other things. The question is if Rick needs to bring something to the attention of the board, if, are there obstacles or barriers to him bringing that to the board, either because of the structure we set up or because there's something other sort of limiting factor. The idea, you know, with, and so you have a couple of different pieces to it. Uh, if you look at the OIG guidance, they recognize that you might have the same person performing both the general counsel functions and the CCO function. Mm -hmm. They recognize that you may have a general counsel and you may have a chief compliance officer, but they may sort of operate in different spheres. And then they recognize that you may have a chief compliance officer, you know, who sits arguably on the same level as the general counsel. In each one of those, they identify risks that need to be mitigated by the organization mm -hmm. because, you know, there is always some potential that you have some obstacle, you know, to right. you know, the, the communication as far as it goes. And so, you know, from you know, my perspective, I think it's important that the, 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 the legal functions and the compliance functions are uh, appropriately integrated because, again, the, the underlying purpose is compliance actually needs that as a resource to be you know, a part of it as well, too. And so I just, you know, in looking at what CRG said in the report, you know, I, I'm, I'm leery of placing too much, you know, form over substance. At the end of the day, it's important that you understand that, that A, the compliance starts at the top because it doesn't matter who Rick reports to if we don't have you know that particular piece of it. But that's what our real focus is: is, is that you feel comfortable that you know he's able to bring things to you directly, and that there's nothing you know which precludes that. And that is in fact the system I think that we have set up. No, that's true. Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, what about what about the reverse? So we get somebody not like Rick, who is our compliance officer, and the board finds difficulty with them. Who, what, what is that process to say, this guy's not worthy? Well, I, I think, and again, that's part of the reason the board is involved in the evaluation and review process, because you're not only there to ensure that... that Responsible for, Michael, or involved with? 
Say again? Responsible for you or said involved with? You said involved with. I'm not making a distinction you know, by the use of that term. You know, there's a rule for the, this committee in relationship to that particular position, whether it be in hiring, making changes to employment, or the quality of information is flowing back and forth. And so one of your responsibilities is if you don't feel that that person is adequately keeping you informed in this subject matter area, then you would have the same obligation to take action that any of us would if we, in terms of our you know, people who are reporting to us, you know, who have those types of responsibilities. So it is a two-way street. You're there to protect this person, but then because of that role, you also have, you know, a similar obligation that we would have, you know, for other folks who have responsibilities for areas. So one of the checks and balances here is that regardless of who I report to, I have a closed session with you occasionally and you ask, are you being filtered? Are, is there something that you need to tell us that you've been told not to? Uh, I mean, we've got to have those, those tough questions sometimes. And if, if I have issues and they're not being addressed and I'm being told to hush my mouth, but I have to have, or they have to have your approval yeah. to get rid of me, then I can talk freely. So there's, that's well, what this that, relationship that's what, is about. That's, that's what I'm trying to understand is I, I, I really think that you have access to the board and you have access to, uh, my question was, who holds the CEO, you, was that, sorry, CEO. Compliance officer. The audit guy. Yeah. <laughs> who holds the audit guy um, who writes the audit guy's annual performance review? Is it done by the staff, the attorney, the CEO, it, or is it done by the board? That's my question. So it's not do you have access. Somebody, I believe, everybody in the organization needs to have an evaluation. Yes. I just believe that. Absolutely. And both to praise them and to help them grow. Mm -hmm. So who does yours? That's that's the question that that's I have in my question. So, so, so I'll, I'll answer it kind of in, in two ways. One is how it was done this year, and two is how kind of a global question to our response to your question. So this year. No, I know how it was done okay, this year. So let me answer the global part. The answer is however you prefer. So if you, as the entity responsible for managing the performance of the CCO, say, I want to do the uh, appraisal myself, and you tell me or Mike, here's the data that I want to inform the process. As Rick mentioned, right. as the organization goes, the way we do it is each individual does their self-assessment. It goes forward. Their manager then is able to do his or her own assessment with that person's self-assessment as a data uh, to complete that evaluation. And then there is sometimes iterative, sometimes just a one-shot. Here's my appraisal. So from this standpoint, if you wanted to generate the original uh, um, uh, performance appraisal, you said just like you do with me, do a self-appraisal quick and then give it to us. We will then do your appraisal. Or, and if you said to me or Rick, I want a 360, I want, we could facilitate that. It's not a part of our standard process, uh, is what he was conveying earlier, but we could facilitate it. He said, 
as a part of his evaluation, I want his reports, I want some of his peers, and I want someone in management, or you want, you are ultimately is, is the person he's accountable to, we'll do that part of it. We'll, so you can be included in the 360 process. Well, I apologize for not making my question clear, because everything you said fits fine with me. I don't have any difficulty, me personally, the committee might, but I don't have any problem with it. I was concerned about language in there that spells out what ought to happen. That was my only issue. And it does, it's, it says, the review, the performance of, does that mean hold them accountable? Does that mean that there's evaluation? Or I'm reviewing what one of you evaluated here. Ah, so see. that's, I'm just trying to that's get exactly the language. So to clear up on that, thank you, I'm sorry. Uh, I think, it, no, this is what we're saying, part, part and parcel to the, uh, uh, the, the uh, consultation. And I think what I understand to be standard practice is you're actually performing uh, his evaluation. You're not reviewing someone else's performance of, or appraisal of his performance. It's it's ultimately your performance uh, or your evaluation of his So, uh, I mean, as much as I think that is, but we see such a... We see such a... So it, it just doesn't do justice. So what we are saying is build a process which could be whatever the external stakeholders. In order to do it, what should what we need. That's right. We can, uh, we can, so we, we have to create a whole new like evaluation plan for yeah, them. Like, it will include so, so, so. You don't have to spell out the whole evaluation plan. You have to spell out who is responsible for the performance evaluation. It, it has to spell out if, if it's the committee, then we can set it up with working with the auditor to say we're going to do a 360, we're going to interview people, we're going to just talk to him only. I, my concern was this doesn't say who's responsible for so, it, and that was what I'm sorry that I made this. Is the CEO going to report to the CEO for uh, so an operation? I wanted to address that part too. So, so uh, as I, uh, I, uh, Trustee Benedict and I had a chance to talk about this after the, the last meeting and after the report, which I very much appreciated. Uh, my my feedback to the committee with respect to his reporting st uh, structure, which uh, uh, I want to say uh, I echoed the sentiments that they already shared. But my the point to the reporting, I would say, is my position was I have no problem at all if, if the board has a very firm position that the chief compliance officer should report to the CEO. What I, what I said was there's a bandwidth challenge that I think we need to recognize because of the CCO? Of the CEO. <laughs> so now if the CCO uh, is reporting to me, I then will need to recognize and what, what then do I either, what adjustment do I make to my, my reporting in, in infrastructure now? So do I shift some reporting somewhere else in the organization? Do I take it, it add this to it and then just, you know, kind of try to make it all work within my, my own bandwidth. I'm just saying that I, I don't think it's a trivial matter to say that Rick and his team and that function would now report to me because I wouldn't give it, I wouldn't treat it any more trivially than I know that Mike treats it when, when he reports to him. So, mm -hmm. so I have no fundamental objection to it. Uh, I talked to Rick about it to see if he felt that there was some additional, you know, if this was really a a solution that was to an existing problem versus sort of a conceptual problem. And the, we can share it with you, but the feedback I got was that this, this, that adjustment, that correction would not create any additional uh, 
a benefit that he doesn't already enjoy. That's what I would say. So, so, so again, it would be an adjustment. I think it would. I, I just want the board to understand that I would then take it and say, okay, fine. If you're that firm about it, I have no objection to it. But I may then say, well, some other function that would force me to help figure out how I want to adjust it within my board structure. Is there a process in which um, the auditor? Uh, uh, addresses or attends a portion of your yes. so an adjustment we did make sorry to uh, preempt you uh, but an adjustment we did make immediately and actually we've started it is our executive leadership team meetings uh, we have we had already been on a journey to sort of re uh, bring those meetings to do some of the stuff that you saw were product of today mm -hmm. um, we've done that and so in every week uh, our meetings have sort of a different theme so that we can cross all the different uh, facets of the organization in one of those weeks we focus on quality and we focus on compliance and so we have the acting uh, VP of quality and we have the chief compliance officer come and it's a bi-directional conversation it is one them telling us what sorts of updates we need to hear on a monthly basis for what's going on with the organization and then we take that opportunity both in response to what they're saying but also in, in uh, proactively with respect to what's going on on our minds or what we're hearing checking with them to say hey I have this question or are you aware of this or where do we stand on that sort of thing so we we started the revised ELT structure in October, October and that third week of October I think was the meeting where we had we, we, we've done this so this is our new practice going forward so historically Rick did not uh, well I can't recall if you ever came to ELT, but I think it was really good. But not on a standing basis, and now this is a standing uh, basis where that, that is the discussion matter. So he had an opportunity both there and obviously on an as-needed as basis if there's something outside of that frequency where we need to bring it to the team, he can do that. And then beyond that, with respect to anything he's doing with any of us, myself included, he always reaches out or we can reach out to him. Yeah, I, I would just say again that you know, as you're testing out this thing, more and more if you can, because it's not just when you're talking about quality or compliance or something, but when Louise is talking about operations and someone else is talking about finance, like that's when you're you're clicking and connecting the dots of prioritizing. Where do I think like I want to be, um, you know, focusing my precious. Um, resources of the internal um, audit committee, that, like this might be where I should be uh, you know, assessing and identifying if this is an area where there's risk or if that is. So you need to be part of the uh, hearing the conversations that are happening with Dave Cox and Luis and things as well. So in that, not just when it's, this is the topic we are discussing, like when other system-wide topics are being discussed, as he is. So, I mean, if the the issue is that um, him reporting to you makes you have to drop something else in terms of bandwidth of that is the signal that we are getting. But as as, as I report to us, we, we probably need to then every meeting just go have like a. 10-minute executive session close session just to do our check-in but I just feel if it's sometimes not codified and done you just get into your groove of how you operate and you do not um, you need that face time so we have to structure it 
somewhere if you want to keep it loosey woozy. But I mean, what is the. No, we could uh, also do. Uh, sorry, I didn't want to apologize. We could. What I could also do is uh, so, so, so as to not. Uh, it, it's sort of an option to not taking on the full-on day-to-day management and oversight function is, is in addition, it doesn't address everything you just mentioned with respect to kind of sitting in two and four-hour meetings and, and listening to the tenor of the conversation from his lens. Uh, but, you know, we could, we could codify a standing frequency, which is guaranteed time with him and me to talk about what yeah. sorts of things are coming from that, in addition to his uh, meeting. That doesn't put me on the for then having to look at, you know, uh, every day, you know, what's going on with your staff, are you managing attendance, mm-hmm. what are you doing with your budget, are you managing those expenses, all those sorts of things mm-hmm. with day-to-day management or, or, or oversight, uh, but at the same time, making sure that the function and the, the spirit of, you know, audit and, or I should say, compliance as an organization is being uh, uh, continually re- re- reinforced in my mind and gives us the form to talk about those things uh, on a sort of proactive basis, then I'm happy to do that as well as an option. And then I would say all of this is continuous improvement. So right. it's, I'm, I'm not pushing back against it. I want to be very clear about that. Uh, I'm just trying to inform the, the context so that if you want me to do it, uh, you, you know, I don't want you to you're sort of in, in, a, in a vacuum without I think we can start, at least start with the standing meeting schedule very regular that is, you know, maintained and sacred and kept because unless compliance is driven from the top, the culture, it is, but what is the, um, what what does the rest of the committee feel about? I think it's a good compromise. I I tend to think compliance people report to CEOs, um, and I don't know. I know you're busy. I know you're busy. There must be some arrangement in a Fortune 50 company for the CEO to manage the compliance without managing them day to day. That's not always true. I, and well, I'm not saying it's always, but I've seen more of it. That's practice. dotted line. Well, part of this is what we want. CEO so part of the direct line to the but, but understand, if you go back to the principles which have raised this as an issue, the, the sentencing guidelines basically said that the, you know, the compliance officer should not have to report to the CFO, the general counsel, or the CEO that the relationship should be directly between that individual and the board. That's that's every kind of person that would love to have someone I understand that, Anthony, but I'm in terms of trying to find the right mix, again, I think it's important that the focus is on it's not being a direct report of, it is reporting to. And that reporting to includes, you know, a, a day-to-day reporting relationship. It you know includes the ability to bring things to the attention of folks. And and again, you know, I think that's the thing that you're really sort of looking for to get out of this and ensure is made part of the structure. And because once you have that then you don't have to be concerned about what all this you know, <laughs> uh, came out of is things being squirreled away or things being shielded off from the people who really need to know the information. Exactly. And, and, That's and, the and bottom line is just he needs the independence and he needs that. So, yeah, yeah. of course. You in our, in our, be, we, we are looking at this and we, we've, it's a mixed bag, to be perfectly honest. And we have some somewhat data, uh, data, but we've also been doing cursory surveys that show that, you know, it's in organizations there are, are, are chief compliance officers or whoever the, 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 the uh, 
head of the, the compliance function is reporting directly to CEO, reporting directly to the general counsel, reporting directly to what was the other entity? Um, oh, no, no, I was, I was looking at this one. Um, so across the board, reporting to um, uh, legal, uh, reporting to, uh, I'm sorry, the board directly, general counsel or legal or CEO, smaller percentage reporting to the CFO, uh, some all represented to a chief risk officer if you have that as a separate I, th I think we're stuck on semantics here yeah. and it's not reporting to but rather providing reports to there you and I think there is the difference so when we say mm -hmm. reporting to mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's very clearly here's the, the line in the org chart and right. you're responsible right. I, I see this in a different way that he needs to be able to provide reports to the general counsel. If he uncovers something uh, that concerns him on a legal basis, he needs to be able to go to Mike and say, you need to know that I'm seeing some of these procedures that look to me to be a little illegal. And or, or even to come directly to you. Or even to come directly to you. So, so I encourage you to ask him if he feels like he has that. And, and that's probably part of your closed session where you do that on a regular basis. We did. Uh, we, did, we, did we had a very long uh, session. So we know that. It, it's, yeah. I feel comfortable that I have a voice. I can go to legal. I can go to Del Vecchio. I can come to you, I report the things that I find. And if if I felt otherwise, then we would be having more closed sessions. Yeah. And one other thing I would you know, also point out in terms of you know, how we operate this, I think that there is a clear amount of demarcation between who is responsible in the organization for what. And so, you know, this didn't happen too long ago. A situation came up there was uh, a bit of a legal issue that was attached to it, but there was, at least in my mind, what I thought was more, you know, a policy issue, you know, of what the organization should do. Once I, you know, could sort of give my opinion with regard to that we're okay from a legal standpoint, then at that point, Rick decided what we were going to do. And, you know, when people came to me to say we should do something different, I direct those folks back to Rick because that's his call, even though, and so, you know, I just want to, you know, reassure you that that's part of what we've been working on in terms of, you know, developing this thing, is that, you know, it's understood that, you know, there's no sort of backdoor to get around an opinion that, you know, Rick has developed as the compliance officer. If he's determined that we as an organization are not going to do that, that's the end of the story, unless it comes to dumb back here. Okay. Yeah, we um, we we I, I think a monthly or something minimum a monthly meeting with uh, the CEO is something which would be a good. That's the compromise we're going to get tonight. Yeah. Okay. At the risk of um, okay. dropping something else. We're going to clarify the language of who's responsible for it. Yeah, so we have to like work on the charter and get all of that into that as well. So, okay. The others are all your written reports, right? right. So, um, there were a couple of things in the Tomayon report where I saw it was complete, complete, but technically it's more like you, this 
process has started and this is going to be yeah. forever. But uh, <laughs> I feel that we've done enough and we've got this thing rolling that it's complete for purposes of this report. We took action and it's going to continue. The anesthesia charges and professional fees, which has kind of been processed with the due date of 9117, is mm -hmm. that done? Mr. Uh, yeah, we, we rebuilt the uh, system. It's up and running. Uh, we have new reporting. We have uh, active reviews going on of the departments. We've um, got a few things we're working on that we've identified, but we're making very good progress. Perfect. So that one I haven't followed up on yet. And we'll be working to uh, test that process to make sure that uh, we're, we're doing everything we were supposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, the other outstanding finding that was due 1031 was the documentation for That one has been done, uh, but I didn't find out until after this report was issued. And now the IT stuff is, I see some new name over there, so that's good, all the ones last time we if had, so we have somebody else. For that for the time being. Mm -hmm. And working on replacing that system, and that will clear up most of the outstanding findings. Okay, and then the CRG, um, Compliance assessment looked at the dates and things, and some of these things were. We might, if we if we need to, we might call a meeting in January. If you know, right now our next meeting is scheduled to be in February, right? March. March. In March. March. Okay. So uh, if we need to complete the charter, finalize the charter, do all of that, and we want to do that by January, we can call. We can decide on a special meeting. Okay. Uh, so there was some progress made. Uh, the CRG recommendations, we've completed eight of the items, and four of them have slid because I didn't think forward far enough, and I said, okay, we'll do the charter this meeting, done. Oh, well, maybe I need to put that out to March. <laughs> uh, so there was a couple things that uh, I realized was a lot more than me doing uh, mm -hmm. some tweaking of a report. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that it was going to have to be worked and, and back through the uh, audit committee and then maybe even the board to get final resolution. We've seen a ambitious so. deadline yeah. when you presented it last time, so it makes sense. But we're continuing to make progress. Okay. Any discussion on the regulatory or compli uh -uh. Um, compliance um, dashboard? And no, our master calendar, we have that tracking an audit. I know we are going to speak about it too when you have the compliance plan. One of the sessions for the full board would be giving them the, the written report and having a little bit of Q&A at the, at the full board sometime in maybe spring, summer um, of the compliance plan. And program. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the inclusion of this data breach, was that there just to frighten us or? <laughs> you always frighten I just thought that would be interesting news that somebody that you go you to put the to Russians get identity here too? theft protection yeah. and, and they get uh -huh. breached. Yeah. You should lock your personal credit reports if you know what's good for you. That's done. But nothing else. That's the only thing that I have done. Sure. Getting your ID back is a pain in the neck. Okay. So any other comments? None? 
Yes, if I may, before you actually adjourn, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just My like to have God. this. Well, no, this is a good thing. Sometimes you just like to have these things sort of slip in very quietly in and announce. But I would just like to uh, take a moment to recognize the third hour and 38th minute of our new board clerk, Rana. We have basically given her the full montage. <laughs> the last time see her. My goal at my goal as the superintendent when I first got to Berkeley was for the board was to have the meeting over on the same day it started. <laughs> <laughs> that was my goal. Yeah, we say that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Okay. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.